Hello and welcome to Tomorrow is Yesterday, the show where we review every episode of Star Trek in production order. My name is Brandon Couch, and with me, as usually at this point, <laughs> Ryan Couch. I'm co-host number two. <laughs> I'm taking my rightful place. So you're, so that would make David number three? Well, I figured you were the host. Like, we're both hosts. Then I'll be number three. So like, it's like... Whatever. We're both hosts, but like we're each other's co-hosts. I also had to explain this to David, because David was also saying that I was the host and he was the co-host for a while. I'm co-host number three. Okay, okay. Could also just say host number three. That's fine too. I'm host number three, or I'm co-host number one. <laughs> oh. You and David are just host. Hi, I'm substitute David. Let me talk about my pop figures today. <laughs> um, we have. A couple of Patronuses. And don't you have a pop figure in the the closet that's <laughs> the Star Wars? Oh, yeah. I have a Luke pop figure that also has a comic book. Like um, the original Marvel comics. I have zero knowledge about pop figures, but I'm still going to pretend that I do. So we have the, the Patronus that I can't see. And then another Patronus that I can't see. Um, and then another Patronus that I can't see. And they're all blue. Um, and they're from Harry Potter, and um, we don't support that. We don't support that. <laughs> we just we're just keeping them hostage so nobody else can buy them and make money off of them. <laughs> so yeah, uh, follow me at what's David's stuff. I don't know. Uh, whatever David usually says, um, and look at my pop figure reviews, and um, yeah, <laughs> that was a very good David. Yeah, and I technically, know. I bought one of those from David, so it wasn't. It's not supporting J.K. Rowling, yeah, so it's fine. Yeah, I told him that I was pregnant, wasn't it? Um, I think you went and you bought it, and you were like, "Hey, Ryan's pregnant." Nah, I think this was after that. Are you sure? Yeah, it might have been then. It was when you got our Christmas tree. Okay, then it was then, because that's when I told him. You waited till Christmas? Oh, we waited till we waited a while to tell pretty much. Well, no, like I told David really early, but he was having a garage sale. And he had a Christmas tree and I bought it. <laughs> oh. That was like in October. <laughs> yeah, it was in October because my parents were at Disney World. Yeah. And my niece was born. On my birthday. On your birthday. So it Which was October. Which is now also her birthday. Yep. <sighs> okay, you're ready. I'm not going to ask you already. You're ready. Let's get into the episode. Wait, I'm not ready. Okay, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm ready. Oh my God. I had to get into the mindset. Court Martial first aired on February 2nd, 1967. Teleplay by Don M. Mankiewicz and Stephen W. Karabastis. A story by John M. Mankiewicz, directed by Mark Daniels, who we last saw in The Naked Time, or who last directed The Naked Time. Did I see that one? I don't think so. What was it? It was the one where Sulu takes his shirt off and... No, I didn't. And waved the sword around. Because I would have had a lot of fun. <laughs> I think I said that in the last one, too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we had this exact conversation in the last one. I was like, one. naked time. Woo! Where's I? David says that's the best episode we ever recorded. <laughs> David, you need to be a little bit more open about some things, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, I, I, David, need to be a little bit more open about some things. It's good to be back, guys. <laughs> okay let's get into the cast uh percy rodriguez as commodore stone 
Isn't that like one of David's thing is like Commodore Moss? Yes, that's his Twitter or not Twitter TikTok. His TikTok. Oh yeah, handle. follow me, guys. At Commodore Moss at at TikTok. <laughs> All right, uh, Elijah Cook as Samuel T. Cogley, Joan Marshall as Lieutenant Ariel Shaw, uh, DeForest Kelly as Doctor Leonard McCoy, who we last saw in the Galileo Seven. Nichelle Nichols as Lieutenant Uhura, who we also saw last week in the Galileo 7. Or I guess that was two weeks ago because we missed a week. Which one's the Galileo 7? Is that one with the space nut? Yes. Okay. It's that one. I follow. The one where Spock and them got stranded. It's hard for me to like remember the episodes because sometimes the, the titles don't really match with like what the episode has. Yeah, that's okay. Richard Webb as Lieutenant Commander Benjamin Finney. Hagen Beggs as Lieutenant Hansen, Winston DeLugo as Lieutenant Timothy. They, they don't have his, his last name, or maybe his first name. I don't know what Timothy's first or last name is. It's just Timothy. If his last name's Timothy, his parents are psychopaths. Well, his parents wouldn't have got to pick his last name. Because that's not how last names work. It's probably just his first name. But still, he's a lieutenant and his name's Timothy. Anyways, uh, Alice Rawlings as Jamie Finney, Nancy Wong as personnel officer, uh, Bart Conrad as Captain Krasnovsky, William Meter as Captain Lindstrom, and Reginald Lau Singh as Captain Chandra. And that's our cast. Yay. Roll call. Anyway, so I rate this episode a 4.5 out of 5 red shirts. You Do really not. are David. Huh? <laughs> you really are David. <laughs> what, I, Ex- except he says Bailey's. What? <laughs> Does he actually do that? Yes. What's the Bailey's? Bailey is a character from a very early episode of the Corbinite Might Maneuver who me and David both hate. Because <laughs> he sucks. 4.5 out of 5 red shirts. I stand by that and you don't have to do it because I know you. I don't find it hate to arbitrarily rant aren't. But I think it's a very good scale of how you can rate personally how art speaks to you. Okay. And this episode spoke through me. Okay. We open with a shot of a damaged Enterprise. I like that in the background of this shot. You can see another ship that looks exactly like the Enterprise. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Although, after I wrote this, I watched the original version. And the original version doesn't have that. It's only in the remastered version. Which one did I watch? The remastered one. Oh. Oh, well, I wasn't paying very good <laughs> attention then. But yeah, like it starts with a shot and like you see like this hole in the Enterprise and like in the background you see like another ship that looks like the There's Enterprise. There's a hole in the Enterprise? Yeah, from the pod that was jettisoned. It's where the pod was. Oh. It's not like all the way through the Enterprise. Yeah, I was going to be like, how are they like maintaining cabin pressure? How are they not getting sucked out of a hole into space? Well, in the movies, it's force fields. Well, the next generation movies, they'd use force fields when that happens. Them directors think of everything, huh? I don't know. That movie really sucked. I haven't seen any of the movies. I wouldn't know. Captain's log, star date 2947.3. We have been through a severe ion storm. One crewman is dead. Ship's damage is considerable. I have ordered a non-scheduled layover on Starbase 11 for repairs. Full report of damages was made to the commanding officer of Starbase 11, Commodore Stone. Could they never found the pod? No, they never found the pod. I feel like 
at that point, technology would at least have something where you could track it. Yeah, but also this was the 60s, so they didn't think of that. Or they thought about it, and they're like, no, 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 that's a loophole. <laughs> we wouldn't have a story then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we're in Commodore Stone's office. Kirk's wearing that green shirt that I've never been a fan of. I can't remember what it looked like. I know the shirts that they wore in one of the scenes in this episode were very, like, like BDUs, like best dress uniforms. Yeah, the their dress uniforms. Those are also introduced in this episode. Really? It's the first time they wear them? Yeah. They look weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how I felt about that. Yeah. Oh, I guess the green shirt he's wearing kind of looks like a tunic. Yeah, it does. It is a tunic. It is a tunic? Yeah. It looks weird. Yeah, it is. I don't like the green shirt. <laughs> So part, like, a little bit of this episode, I felt like their shirts were almost like crop tops. Like, there's a scene, like, later in the episode where they're having a little scuffle and his shirt's, like, popping up. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> got a midriff going. Yeah, the that, the guy who Kirk's fighting with that scene, like, his shirt looked, like, really tight and small. Mm-hmm. Like, they need, to get, his muscles. they need to get that guy a bigger shirt. <laughs> uh, Stone is ordering maintenance to reschedule work on the Intrepid to prioritize repairs on the Enterprise. Kirk's reading his report and Stone says, that makes three times you've read it, Jim. Is there an error? And Kirk's like, no problem. It's just the death of a crewman. Like, Kirk's having a rough time with it. It's not just a crewman. It's his buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, Kirk's taking this one hard. Stone takes his testimony. That's where Kirk was reading. What It was his sworn testimony. And then asks Kirk for the extract from the Enterprise's computer logs to confirm it. Kirk pulls out his communicators and calls the Enterprise, asking where Spock is with the computer extract. We get a shot of her at her station on the bridge. She says, Spock should have been there 10 minutes ago. Stone says something along the lines of, It's a shame we can't afford to lose good men like Lieutenant Commander Finney. And Kirk's like, Yeah, I agree. I waited till the last possible second. We were on red alert. The storm got worse and I had to eject the pod. Spock beams in. Kirk asks what took so long. And Spock is about to say something like, I think there's something wrong with the computer extract. But before he can say any of that, Stone just takes it from him. Then this teenage girl walks in. Kirk says, Jamie, real friendly like. And she starts going, I just wanted to look at the man who killed my father, you murderer. And Kirk's like, no, we were friends. Jamie's like, your friend, you hated him all your life. And that's why you killed him. And she just starts screaming, you murderer repeatedly. The way you say that, I can't tell if like you have a bit of malice towards her or like ill feelings. No, not really. Because at first I was like, damn, this girl's stupid. And then later on I was like, I, I, could, I could see it. I just don't have a good relationship with my father. <laughs> so. I have no malice or any negative feelings towards this character. This character yeah, is like, fine. <laughs> at first I thought she was causing some problems, but... I don't know. I kept going back and forth. Like I, I was just, I was having such a hard time figuring out who was the, um, oh, what's the word? Bad guy in a story. <laughs> who was the antagonist? The antagonist. <laughs> so yeah, I kept going back and forth at first. You know, and he's like, "It's this girl. It's her." But I don't know. No. Stone asks Spock to escort her out. Then Stone asks Kirk, "You said you ejected the pod after the red alert." Kirk's like, yeah, you have my sworn testimony. And then Stone says, then, Captain, I must presume you have committed willful perjury. This extract from your computer log says you jettisoned the pod before going to red alert. Consider yourself confined to base. An official inquiry will determine whether a general court-martial is in order. Because, you know, the computer couldn't possibly be wrong. Well, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, 
the only way it ever could be wrong is like if somebody messed with it. Yeah. And like people aren't going to automatically assume that. They're going to be like, well, records show, you know. How how often in real life do you find that people take like people's word? Like, oh, well, he's a great guy. He would never do that. Like, that never holds up in court. Yeah. So recently there is this uh, case in uh, Europe. I think it was like England where like a bunch of people and this company were like arrested for stealing money from the company. And then they found out that it was all just a computer glitch and no money was ever stolen. I wonder how they figured that out. Uh, it was like a, a uh, like maybe a month ago. I think I've heard ago. about this and like only like a handful of people have actually like been like, I don't know, like forgiven, I guess. I don't know. Unless it's like a different story I'm thinking about. Maybe, but like, yeah, it was messed up. I agree. But like, yeah, that's what that's what this part made me think of, like, assuming the computer's right. Technically, technically, technology is infallible. It it comes down to its programming. If its programming is infallible, then it is infallible. But if there's something wrong with its programming or it's been tampered with, then it can mess up and make mistakes. Yeah. So what'd you think of the teaser? Um, I don't know. I feel like at that part in the story, I can't remember if our daughter was asleep or awake, but I feel like it was a distracted a lot. I don't know. At this point, I didn't really feel like the teaser got me into it at all. Hmm. I, I mean, I was trying to like take notes in my head and like pay attention, but I was like, that didn't really get me excited until like the middle of it when like the climax happened. Then that's when I really got into it. The teaser didn't really do much for me. Okay. So one thing I'm going to note about the teaser, really this episode in general, is that this is the first time that we've ever seen, like, a Starfleet officer who is, like, superior to Kirk. Like, we've seen, like, uh, in last week we had, like, the commissioner guy, but he wasn't Starfleet. But this is the first time we have, like, an officer, Commodore Stone, who's superior to Kirk. And this was the 60s, and this, this is the first time we get a superior officer, and they cast a black man. Like, for the time, like, that's, like, important. Like, Kirk's, like, has to take orders a white guy has to take orders from a black guy. Like, that didn't happen a lot in the 60s in television. Star Trek was very, um, what is that? Very progressive. Progressive for its time. Yeah. Um, my friend that I work with, his, their mom is a, a Trekkie. I just found this out. And I was like, oh, you know that? And I was like, you should give me your mom's number so I can, <laughs> get, I can give her a link to the podcast. Um... And then they brought up that Star Trek had the first interracial kiss on television. I was like, I'm so surprised that you know that because that's actually not that. true, but people like to say that. Well, then who did? So I don't know exactly who did. Like, there's a lot of reasons that's false. One, because like people in Europe like to say we had interracial kisses on television before that Star Trek episode in the United States. Okay. Yes, but then in the United States, uh. I Love Lucy was on in the 50s. Oh, yeah. Well, what was the interracial kiss? Was it like... Was it black and white? In in Star Trek, yes. Yeah, so that was probably much bigger than... that. That's why they say that, but also, like, that's not even the first interracial kiss in Star Trek, because there was an episode before that where Kirk kissed an Asian woman. Back in the 60s, though, people cared a lot more about <laughs> the other demographic. I... I know, I know, and that's why people like to say that Star Trek had the first interracial kiss, but... Yeah, cause, I mean... But also, if you look at that kiss, like, it's not a positive thing. Like, they're being tortured and mind-controlled and forced to kiss. It's not like a, 
oh, we're kissing each other because we want to. <laughs> it seems to be a recurring theme in Star Trek somehow. <laughs> oh, look at this weird virus or weird possess possessive ghost from another planet. We're all horny for each other. Now we all need to make out. And this party. is different, though. This was like a really this episode that that episode's like a really rough episode. Like Have watching them be tortured. Over it or no? no, we haven't. That's later in the series. This season or no? Um, I don't think so, but I'm not sure. Yeah, that that that's all I think is like. But I I understand that like, it's getting credit for something it didn't actually do. But yeah. Then we can say it's the first black and white kiss on television. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Was there any black and white kissing on the love boat? I don't know. I've never watched the love boat. It's such a good show. I don't know what that's even about. It's a cruise ship. What? Where everybody's horny. So it's like Star Trek, but in the water. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Then you got Gilligan's Island, which is Star Trek, but like five people on an island. No, that's Voyager, but in the water. Because <laughs> they're stranded. You're, you're so goofy. Okay. <laughs> Captain's log, stardate 2948.5. Starship Enterprise remains in orbit around Starbase 11. Full repairs in progress. I have been ordered to stand by on Starbase 11 until the inquiry into the death of Lieutenant Commander Finney can be conducted. I am confident of the outcome. So Kirk and Bones walk up to the bar. Kirk sees Timothy, who I'm just going to call Tim, and says, I haven't seen you since the Vulcanian expedition. It's weird how this episode just all of a sudden decides to change Vulcan to Vulcanian for no apparent reason. Like, this isn't the only time they're going to say this, like... Later, Spock's going to say it, and at one point, the computer's going to say it. What's the correct way to say it? Vulcan. <laughs> that is odd. Maybe they're just illiterate right now. The only other time it was said like this was in Mud's Women, but that was Mud saying it, so I just... Maybe there's two different ways to say it. I just chalked that up to, like, Mud's mispronouncing it, but, like... And this, and this one, it's Did weird. Did you say even Spock says it? Yeah, even Spock says it in this episode. So maybe there's just multiple ways to say it. I guess, but it's weird. I guess. We live in the South, where everything has like five different meanings. <laughs> okay. I think it's acceptable. Kirk notices that there are several members of his graduating class there. Timothy and Mike are at the bar, a couple of guys at a table, whose names aren't important enough for me to remember. You said you were just going to call him Tim. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Tim. <laughs> Tim asks if the repairs on Kirk's ship are going to be a big job. Kirk says just a couple of days. Then Tim asks if he's going to leave after that. Kirk asks, in a hurry to see me go? Oh, I just wondered how long it would take you to get a new records officer. You can talk plainer than that. I can, but I think the point's been made. Ben was a friend of ours. I don't get why you're going to replace all this with just clips. I'm not. <laughs> That's why I'm doing the voice. <laughs> Uh, at that point, Bones starts trying to get Kirk to leave, but Kirk's not having it. He just keeps saying, "Not nah, finish the sentence. Ben was a friend of yours and... Mike says, Mike says, why don't you tell us? So I don't understand. Like, I understood after, obviously, the episode kept going, but I was like, first of all, how does everybody already know that the computer said that he pushed it before it was a red alert? News travels fast. 
But that shouldn't have mm-hmm. even left. It was just like Spock, the Commodore, and Kirk. That was it. Yep, but news Who's travels a blabber fast. Mouth? Probably, probably some yeoman. Who talked to the yeoman? <laughs> probably just a yeoman who works in Stone's office. Mm. Someone doing paperwork, being a blabbermouth. But yeah, I was, I was just confused. I was like, why would it, like, it's Kirk, bro. Like, yeah, he does some stupid stuff sometimes. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, hint to the last episode. <laughs> Kirk was really stupid in the last episode. You know, sometimes he'd be thinking with the wrong head. Um, sometimes but i was like he wouldn't maliciously kill somebody yeah he might stupidly kill somebody but like i don't know i he's not I, he doesn't come off as like a, a, a malicious guy yeah yeah kirk has a, rep, a rep, bad reputation sometimes but kirk's a good captain yeah <laughs> <laughs> except for in the last episode sometimes he does some some questionable actions <laughs> yes <laughs> Kirk says you've already made up your mind, so there's not really a point. I don't agree with that. I feel like always defend yourself if if you feel like like you're right. Yeah. I feel like it's worth mentioning that out of everyone involved in this conversation, Kirk's the highest ranking officer, so they're all just bad mouthing a high rank a higher ranking officer. I don't think you've ever been around me when I'm around my boss. Yeah, you don't work in the military, Ryan. It's it's different in that in that situation. I don't know if it really is. All of the people in the military are alcoholics, and they say some whack stuff. <laughs> they'll be like, but "Shut not, up, sergeant! But you not, suck my balls." <laughs> and they'll be like, "What did you just say to me, private? Drop down, give me twenty. And they'll be like, "I'll give you twenty on your knees, sergeant." <laughs> I watch military <laughs> videos where they're messing with their sergeants and stuff. They do. Okay. They'll they'll back talk. All right, Kirk storms out, bumming into a red shirt at the door, while a woman who's definitely going to be somehow involved in the story walks in. McCoy walks up to her and says, If you have any doubt, that was indeed Captain James Kirk of the Enterprise. McCoy, why are you wingmanning for Kirk right now? He's not even in the room. Make a move on him yourself, you dingbat. Wait, what? Like, she walks in, and, like, McCoy is like, That is James T. Kirk, like... Why is he trying to be a wingman for Kirk right now? Like, McCoy should make a move on him, on her himself. Does he know that they had a past or no? Not yet, until this next line she says. Because I didn't take that as him being like, hey, look, there's Kirk, right? Nice piece of butt right there. Well, I know. I was just kidding around. Like, it was probably more of like she looked, she like looked at Kirk as he was leaving and McCoy was like, yeah, that is, that is Kirk. I don't know. I thought it was... You know, continue, and I'll I'll say something else. Okay. Uh, she asks if she's if he's a friend of Kirk's. He says, "Right now, one of the few," and introduces himself. Shaw introduces herself, then says that she's an old friend of Kirk's. Then McCoy has this fun line: and "All of my old friends look like doctors." What? Well, she says she's an old friend of Kirk's, and McCoy just like sadly goes, "All my all my old friends look like doctors." That's just saying like his friends are only the people he works with. Well. The rest of that line that I wasn't going to say, but I will now, is all his friends look like you. Like, that's what you're saying. Like, all Kirk's old friends are, like, attractive ladies, and all his are just doctors. Hmm. Old men doctors. Oh. Oh, yeah, because back then women weren't doctors. (laughs) 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 To be fair, I don't think we've ever had a female doctor in Star Trek at this point. I don't think that happens till the movies. Yeah. They may be uh, diverse as far as race, but women still get no rights. Oh, wait, that's not true, because in the second pilot, 
Dr. Daner, she was a psychologist. So we have had a female doctor in Star Trek. Exception, not the rule. <laughs> okay. She was just one of the bros. Nah, she was like the female lead of that episode. She got godlike powers, then died. When was that? That was like the, not not the failed original pilot, but like the second pilot with Shatner that actually got made into a series. Um. So that was the second episode. All right. Uh, where was I? All my old friends look like doctors. All right. All right. Then he asked her to have a drink with him. We cut to Stone's office. Kirk's wearing that dumb Greek shirt again. Stone turns on the computer. Recording. Inquiry. Matter. Captain Kirk. James T. Subject. Circumstances of death. Lieutenant Commander Finney. Benjamin. <laughs> this sucks because they really could not imagine computers having any sort of human-like voice at all. Uh, you know the the next generation computer? How it has like more of a human-like voice? I can't remember off the top of my head. Well, it does. Like It sounds like just a woman, but the woman who voiced that computer is the exact same woman voice in this computer. <laughs> really? Yeah. She also like played Chapel and Number One. and I bet she was so relieved and they're like, just talk normally. <laughs> and married Gene Roddenberry. So like, yeah, she's in a lot of Star Trek. And is also Troy's crazy mom. On the list of <laughs> things that would put a Victorian child in a coma, Star Trek computer voice. <laughs> all right. Uh, Stone says all official like this inquiry to determine whether a general court martial should be convened against Captain Kirk, the charges of perjury and culpable negligence. Uh, Stone starts by asking Kirk about his relationship with Finney because they've known each other for a long time. Kirk says that when he was a midshipman, Finney was an academy instructor. Then quote, but that didn't stand in the way of us beginning a close friendship. Historians will have you think they were just friends. Then says that Jamie, the girl who was screaming murder at him in the teaser, was actually named after him. Stone's like, everyone knows something happened between you two, Kirk says. I met Spock from the very moment I laid eyes on those ears. I knew he was the one for me. I didn't want to, but I just had to break Finney's heart. On the list of fan fiction I didn't know I need to read today. <laughs> What Kirk actually says is, when they were both assigned to the same ship, he relieved Finney on duty one time and found a circuit open to the atomic matter pause that should have been closed, which could have blown up had it been left open much longer. The computer wants to know what ship, and Kirk says it was the Republic. Kirk reported the incident, and Finney's name was sent to the bottom of the promotion list. I feel like it's really harsh for an accident. I mean, he could have blew up the ship. Like, I feel like that's fair. I feel like context is important in situations like this. I feel like there's better ways to... Uh, what is the word? Discipline, I guess. You know? Like, he was a he was a good crewman. He was really good at his job, and he made one mistake. There's better ways to redirect than be like, Ah, oh, you suck. You lose any chance at being a captain now. I mean, I'm not sure he lost any chance. He just, like, got pushed back. Like, I feel like had he not tried to frame Kirk in this episode, like, eventually he might have worked his way up to captain. How long ago did this incident happen? I don't remember. I feel like that context is important because it at least happened after, uh, his, after Finney's daughter was born. And you said she's hmm. a teenager. Yeah. So... I don't know. I'm pretty sure they say how long ago, but I don't think I wrote how long ago it happened in my notes. It was definitely before Strange New Worlds. 
Because it was when Kirk was an ensign. In Strange New Worlds, he's a lieutenant commander. Mm. Uh, Stone asks if Finney blamed Kirk for that. And Kirk's like, yeah. Then Kirk says he had been at the academy for an unusually long time as an instructor. As a result, he was late in being assigned to a starship. The delay he felt looks bad on his record. My action, he believed, made things worse. I feel like in the position I am at work where there's several people trying to promote it's part of our job to report things, but it's never out of malice. I'm never going out of my way to be like, ah, I've been waiting for you to screw up so I could tell the manager. You know, it depends on the severity of the incidents, obviously. So, like, mm-hmm. if, like, I don't know, if you hand out the wrong order, I'm going to, like, redirect you. Like, hey, look, you know, be paying attention to the orders that you hand out. But if you, like, cuss out a customer, I'm like, hey, that's not cool. I'm going to pull you off a window. You cool down, but I am going to have to tell a manager about this. You know, it's not like out of malice, and I want people to learn from their incidents. And I feel like it takes a certain amount of emotional maturity to realize, like, this isn't personal, you know. Because Kirk already had the position, right? Like, or he was already, like, whether or not Kirk reported this, it wasn't going to affect Kirk's, um, what is it, job performance, you know? Okay. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, if Finney just looked at it from that perspective of, like, regardless of if he reported it or not, it doesn't make Kirk look any better or worse. It's just his job. Yeah. He just happened to be the one that found it. Yeah. Sometimes it just happens like that. Yeah. But, yeah, it takes emotional maturity. Yeah. Then Stone asked about the storm when Finney died. Kirk says there was an ion storm dead ahead, and he sent Finney into the pod. Stone asks why Finney, and Kirk says his name was at the top of the duty roster. Duty. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was debating whether or not to do it just then because I said it and I was just letting it hang there. <laughs> uh, Stone tries to snap at Kirk. If he blamed you, Kirk snaps back. I don't run my ship based on who blames me. It was his turn, so I sent him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Yeah. Finney checked in when we first hit the edge of the ion storm. It wasn't too bad, so I signaled a yellow alert. Then we began encountering pressure, variant stress, force seven, the works. I finally signaled a red alert. Finney knew he had he had a matter of seconds. I gave him those seconds and more, but apparently it wasn't enough. Yeah, obviously, because <laughs> apparently Finney's just like dead out there, out floating How, in space. Do those pods not like have an oxygen supply? I don't know, because they never come up again after this episode. Really? Really. I don't even know why they had to eject them in the first place. Me why does neither. ejecting it help the ship at all? I don't know. <laughs> like that needed to be explained for me, but I don't know. It's probably just like based on a real thing that happens on naval subs. And because we don't know about naval subs, me and you, we just don't get it. I don't know. Maybe they're just hoping that since we don't know anything about naval subs that we won't ask questions. <laughs> But I'm asking questions. They didn't know that people would be recording podcasts about this in the 2020s. You hear that? Whoever directed, like, whoever's still alive from who worked on this episode, I need answers. So, William Shatner? You better answer to me, Shatner. I need answers. And maybe that little girl? (laughs) Actor for Jamie, please. (laughs) Leonard Nimoy's still alive, right? No. What? No. When'd he die? Before we met. Really? Yes. Oh. I guess I didn't really care much about him until after oh, we yeah. met. It was 
would have been like 2015 or 16 because in the 2016 Star Trek film like that like since Spock couldn't be in it like they did like a thing to honor Spock in the episode being like they told like younger Spock like hey old Spock died and then Spock was feeling really sad that's wild (laughs) I just didn't feel like they were that old yeah like next month William Shatner's gonna turn 93 dang yeah didn't he like go to space with Elon Musk recently Jeff Bezos but yes oh yeah it was and like then a Jeff couple Bezos years ago. Jeff Bezos popped champagne like all over him while William Shatner was like, this is such a special moment. And Jeff Bezos was like, shut up right now. Just shut up and party. <laughs> you did tell me about that. That was just so rude. <laughs> yeah. I felt so bad for Shatner for like the first time in my life. But then I I, I think I'm relating him too much to his character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. He spent his whole life working on like, a show all about space exploration finally got to go to space and jeff bezos was like i own amazon mother <laughs> i mean not his whole life star trek didn't last that long most of his life okay a good majority <laughs> i don't know about that star like, trek was basically his life the, the original series didn't last that long and then he did like six movies what else did he do besides Star Trek? Um, he was the Priceline negotiator. Um, car insurance was his life. Okay, that that's not car insurance. That's travel. Travel, that's travel insurance site. was his life. He he did other shows too, like traveling to space. Brandon. He he did T J Hooker. He did. What's Boston. that? It's a cop show. Oh, I heard Hooker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Boston Legal. Um, cop shows. Uh, Boston Legal, I think, was like a law drama, I think. Oh, I love law drama. I didn't watch most of the stuff. That's w- actually a really big reason why I like this episode so much. <laughs> he was in one episode of The Twilight Zone. Oh, I, I thought he did a lot more for some reason. I mean, he did. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. No, I meant in The Twilight Zone. Oh, no, he just did one episode. It's an iconic episode, but just one. Mm-hmm. Well... Anyways, that was a special moment for him, and Jeff Bezos crapped all over it. Okay. How rude. How rude. Do better. <laughs> okay. Uh, Stone then asks why the computer log that was automatically made at the time says that you were still on yellow alert when you ejected the pod. Kirk doesn't know. Stone asks if the computer could be wrong. Kirk says Spock's working on that right now, but but that's next to impossible. Stone stops the recording and says, I look, Jim. Not one man in a million could do what you and I have done. Command a starship. A hundred decisions a day, hundreds of lives, staked on you making every one of them right. You're played out, Jim. Exhausted. Kirk's like, so that's what you think, and Stone says, if you cooperate, that's what my report will say, and Kirk, and Kirk's not having this physical breakdown, mental collapse, admitting someone died because Stone cuts him off. Admit nothing. Say nothing. Let me bury the matter here now. No starship captain has ever stood trial before, and I won't, and I don't want you to be the first. But if, but if what you suspect is true, then I'm guilty. I should be punished. I'm thinking of the service. I won't have it smeared by what Commodore Storn? All right, by an evident perjurer who is either covering up his bad judgment, his cowardice, or something even worse. 
Now that's just ridiculous. If that's what Kirk was actually trying to do right now, he would he wouldn't he would want you to bury it. He wouldn't be wanting court martial or to be punished. I feel like they would have had a better time convicting him or like even convincing him that something happened if they would have just said maybe you made a mistake rather than being like you maliciously killed this man. Yeah. Because that's what they approached that from the start is, you did this because you're mad that he was mad at you. <laughs> yeah. Like, why would I be mad, bro? I'm a starship captain. Why do I care? <laughs> that's as far as you go, sir. I'm telling you I was there on the bridge. I know what happened. I know what I did. It's in the transcript, and computer transcripts don't lie. Now I'm telling you, Captain, either you accept a permanent ground assignment or the whole disciplinary weight of Starfleet Command is going to light right on your neck. So that's the way we do it now. Sweep it under the rug, and me along with it. Not in your life. I intend to fight. Then you draw a general court-martial. Draw it. I demand it. I end right now, Commodore Stone. Right now. And that is the end of Act 1. This is where it gets exciting for me. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. When we get to the legal stuff. I, I do enjoy the legal stuff. I do enjoy a good legal drama in a Star Trek episode. Like, there's also, like, a really good one in Season 2 of Strange New Worlds. Where number one's on trial. I can't remember if I was if I've seen that. Maybe. And then there's what the a Is really another one that's an Illyrian. Yes, and that's why she's on trial. And then there's a really famous one in Next Generation where Data has to like fight for his right to like be to like basically be a level li basically be a living thing and decide what he wants to do. Because, like, there's a scientist who wants to experiment on his brain, and he's like, I don't want that. And then, and then Starfleet's like, well, you gotta. And so David and Picard, like, go on trial to you fight for David. David. Data. Sorry, I might have said David. But Data and Picard go David, on trial. David, come back. Brandon can't stop thinking about you. <laughs> but, yeah. He misses you. They go on trial, and, da and Data wins. <laughs> you almost said it again. <laughs> David, please. There's also, like, one where the doctor has to fight for his rights, but that's just about, like, controlling his artwork. Doctor? The, the holographic doctor in Voyager. Oh, okay. He doesn't have a name. He's just the doctor. Wasn't he, like, based on, like, an actual person, though, that, like, died? Not that died. Like, he, like, looked exactly like the guy who created him. And but that, didn't it have, like, his memories and stuff? Or am I thinking of somebody else? You're thinking it's of the, something else. It's the doctor dude that became a hologram. Doctor that became... Are you talking about the robot guy who Chapel, had a th who Chapel was engaged to? He has, like, a to? thing that allows him to travel outside of the ship and stuff. No, we're that's that's the doctor. I, I thought... Now, he's not based on a person. He was just a hologram. That eventually became sentient. I thought he had, like, the dude's memories and stuff. No. I'm mixing stuff up in my head. <laughs> Captain's log, stardate 2948.9. The officers who will comprise my court-martial board are proceeding to Starbase 11. Meanwhile, repairs on the Enterprise are almost complete. Kirk walks into a bar. Ouch. He meets up with Shaw. They immediately start flirting. McCoy said you were here. I should have felt it in the air like static electricity. She says, flattery will get you everywhere. He asks how long it's been, and she answers, four years, seven months, and an odd number of days. Not, Not that, that I'm counting. counting. <laughs> I I'm guessing you didn't like this part. I'm just tired of Kirk rising up everything that has a hole. 
it adds almost nothing to, for me. Like it, it's annoying and it's in the way. Ah, it's two old friends catching friends. up. Friends don't make out with each other. Yeah, they probably used to make out. <laughs> Anyways, he says she hasn't changed a bit, and that's where she sees an opening to bring up his court martial. He's like, "Oh, you heard about that?" And she reminds him that she's a JAG officer. For listeners or co-hosts unfamiliar, JAG stands for Judge Advocate General. It's basically a division of the military full of lawyers. It's also the TV show that spawned the NCIS franchise. Isn't that what Scott Bakula is part of? He was for a bit. He was the star of NCIS New Orleans, but that's not on anymore. Who is also a Star Trek actor. He is also a Star Trek actor. Your favorite. My my favorite. My favorite captain. <laughs> is Jonathan Archer, played by Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula, if you hear this, please. My husband loves you so much. I've been trying to contact your team to get uh, an autograph, but you guys hate me, so. Wow. <laughs> okay. They really be curbing me. Okay. I, like, messaged a bunch of people, and I was like, please help me get Scott Bakula's autograph. And he was like, who are you, crazy lady? Don't contact me again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kirk doesn't want to talk about the court-martial, though. Uh, he wants to make up for lost time. She points out that he's taking this very lightly, and he says it's the confidence of an innocent man. I typed that line in twice. Confidence of an innocent man. It's the confidence of an innocent man. That's that's base, That's basically what my notes say right now. <laughs> <laughs> she straight up asks him if he is innocent because apparently the rumors say otherwise. Ah, yes, the unshakable legal foundation that is rumors. You'd be surprised. Yeah, I probably would. Uh, Kirk's still just trying to get out of this conversation, but she won't let him. She says this can ruin him and ask him to take her advice. Kirk's like, go ahead. I never could win an argument with you. Yeah, uh, for men out there, or women out there, don't say date somebody who's a lawyer. <laughs> You'll lose every argument, unless you're also a lawyer. Then those are going to be some pretty heated family events. <laughs> she says, The prosecution will build its case on the basis of Kirk versus the computer. Now, if your attorney tries to defend on that basis, you won't have a chance. Well, what other choice is there? Well, that's up to your attorney, and that's why he's got to be a good one. You, perhaps? No, I. But she stops herself from finishing that sentence. I'm busy. Well, a girl with your ability should be able to handle two cases at once. <laughs> That made the episode a whole lot funnier. <laughs> Jim, be serious. You're not an ordinary human. You're a starship captain, and you've stepped into scandal. If there's any way they can do it, they'll slap you down hard and permanently for the good of the service. You still haven't made any recommendation. Samuel T. Cogley, attorney at law. If anyone can save you, he can. He'll be paying you a visit, Jim. I've got to go. At this point, I was like, mm. man, I really hope like she's not giving him like a really crappy lawyer so he'll like, lose. <laughs> That would be messed up. But she's a homie. Then he's like, Ariel, you still haven't told me how you know so much about what the prosecution's going to do. Because, Jim Kirk, my dear old love, I am the prosecution. And I have to do my very best to have you slapped down hard, broken out of the service, in disgrace. She's a baddie, for real. <laughs> I don't like that last line. She's a dummy mommy. <laughs> I don't like that line. I have to do my very best to have you slapped down hard. 
that makes this sound like some sort of legal hit job because he didn't he didn't take a ground assignment. I feel like it would work better if it was something along the lines of I have to do my very best to seek justice for the death of Lieutenant Commander Finney for that little girl who's never going to see her father again. You know, something like that. Something to like tug on the heartstrings and like make it like serious. But she doesn't believe that he was in the wrong. I believe she believes that he did the right thing. Yeah, but still, like... So, she's just doing her job because you know that the only thing he did was piss off Starfleet. Because they wanted to sweep it under the rug. I mean, but a crewman is dead, like... I'm not sure she believes that he, like, actually didn't make a mistake. I'm So, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that she believes he didn't, like, at least didn't do it on purpose. Which is what they were trying to say. Well, yeah, but, like, also, like, the trial is not just about him doing it on purpose. It's about, like him like doing the wrong thing and ejecting it while it was still on yellow alert and like killing a crewman when he shouldn't have i suppose okay we fade to this guy sitting in the middle of a room surrounded by books kirk walks in is about to pour himself a drink when he sees this guy turns out this is kirk's room (laughs) the guy asks if he's kirk and he's like yeah what's all of this the guy says i figured we'd be spending some time together so i moved in kirk responds i hope i'm not crowding you uh, guy's like, what, you don't like books? Kirk's like, well, computers take up a lot less space. Guy's like, I got one of these in my office. Contains all the precedents, a synthesis of all the great legal decisions written throughout time. I never use it. Why not? I've got my own system. Books, young man, books. Thousands of them. If time wasn't so important, I'd show you something. My library. Thousands of books. What would be the point? This is where the law is. Not in that homogenized, pasteurized, synthesized you want to know the law, the ancient concepts in their own language? Learn the intent of the men who wrote them, to Moses, to the tribunal of Alpha Three books. You have to be either an obsessive crackpot who's escaped from his keeper or a Samuel T. Cogley attorney at law. You're right on both counts. <laughs> Need a lawyer? I'm afraid so. So our daughter just woke up, so you might hear a toddler in the background of this episode. <laughs> Honestly, a blessing. Honestly, a blessing. Uh, I like how they do that thing that Star Trek does, where they mention things from history, and they start off with real history and then move into fake Star Trek history. Okay, from, what did I miss that was real history? From Moses to the Tribunal of Alpha 3. Oh, yeah. Whenever he was going on his rant, I was like, I, I got lost. He said a lot of big words. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's really stupid of me, but... <laughs> Cut to Commodore Stone ringing a bell in the courtroom. Court's now in session. Stone has appointed Captains Lindstrom, Krasnowski, and Chandra to be members of the court. Uh, Then ask Kirk if he feels any of these officers are prejudiced towards Kirk and should be replaced. Now here's what I think could have been more interesting. These three guys should have been the guys from the bar scene. And then we'd see that the deck is clearly stacked against Kirk. and And that would increase tension and drama. Wait. Three guys from the deck should have been what? So th- so there's like three captains in the courtroom who are like a part of the court. And Stone asks if like Kirk thinks any of these captains are prejudiced towards him. And Kirk's like, no. Like what I think would have been more interesting is if those, if like three of those guys from the bar scene who were like clearly like you killed Finney. Like if those three guys were made members of the court instead, that way like we would actually have a court that is prejudicing against Kirk. So like... Kirk would be fighting an uphill battle. I don't know. I felt like they did a really good job. Okay. I feel like it's better. I think they did. I think 
I don't think they were trying to villainize Starfleet. I think they were trying to make like a, an actual like decent case. Well, yeah. Where they were saying like, you know, maybe you made a mistake. You know. Okay. Kirk has no objections. Stone asks the same question about Shaw and himself, and Kirk still has no objections. Then Stone addresses the clerk. And I think the president of the clerk is so funny because his only job is to hit buttons on the computer while it does the actual job of a court clerk, and it's so unnecessary. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Somebody's got to hit the buttons, okay? <laughs> I hope that man gets paid a lot to hit buttons. <laughs> he probably didn't. He gets paid minimum wage to hit buttons. <laughs> All right. What do you think Starfleet minimum wage would be? I don't know. I know currency is like not even a thing then, but like. Well, actually, like at this point, like it's pretty clear that currency is a thing at this point in Star Trek. Even though Strange New Worlds like to act like it's not, but money was clearly a thing when they were writing the original series. I don't know that I've seen any instances where money is like exchanged. Well, there's a point, I don't think we've even reached it at this far in the podcast, but there's like this one line where, one point in the show where Kirk says, Starfleet paid a lot of money to train us. Like, and there's like lines like that. Is there no form of currency at all in the later Star Treks? Yes. Well, yes and no. Like, the Federation, like, doesn't have currency, but like, they still like trade with other people and like... So they go back to bartering and trading. And the Ferengi is like, all about currency. So, like, Deep Space Nine has a lot of currency because that's, like, a Bajoran station. Or an old Cardassian station that's now a Bajoran station, but Starfleet's running it. But, yeah, the whole not having money thing has always been very confusing, and they've never quite explained it very well. But, yeah, in Next Generation, they start with that whole, that's not a thing. Ah, so my season. (laughs) So your show. All right, so the computer says, charge culpable negligence specification and that on stardate 2945.7 by such negligence captain kirk james t did cause loss of life to wit the life of records officer lieutenant commander finney benjamin to all recorded charges and specification what is the plea kirk says not guilty and bum, we- bum, bum. <laughs> i thought that was so silly he was like what else did you think he was gonna say <laughs> okay no, like the, it was so dramatic in the like TV show, like it like did the dramatic music and everything. We said not guilty, and I was like, da, da, da. <laughs> it's like, what did you think he was gonna be like guilty? It, it's a dramatic television show. They got to do that. It's a courtroom drama episode. I just felt like it was oddly timed. Like, don't do it on the not guilty plea. <laughs> All right, Kirk says not guilty, and we've got ourselves a trial. Shaw calls Spock to the stand. Spock hands his little cartridge to the clerk who puts it in the computer. Spock, serial number S-179276, SP, service rank, lieutenant commander, position, first officer, science officer, current assignment, USS Enterprise, commendation, Vulcanian Scientific Legion of Honor, awards of valor, twice decorated by Starfleet Command, Spock is not a lieutenant commander. He is a full-fledged commander, and this irritates the crap out of me. You have credit where credit's due. Give Spock his flowers. Yeah, like, even if you look at his, look at, like, his sleeves, he's wearing commander stripes, not lieutenant commander stripes. Uh, Shaw says that as first officer, Spock knows a lot about computers. I don't know how that has anything to do with being a first officer. Heck, I'd find it more believable if you said as a science officer, he'd know a lot about computers. 
Spock knows a lot about computers. Spock does know a lot about computers. And that's all that's important right now. As we'll see next week. Oh. Yeah. I'm kind of glad I'm not doing the dual episode. Please, for the love of God, David, please show up. <laughs> I don't know if I could watch two episodes back to back and then do this when I, I also have to watch our child. Please don't do this to me. All right. Spock's like, yeah. She asks if computers can malfunction. Yes. She asks if Spock knows about a malfunction that caused the Enterprise to show inaccurate data. No. Is that is that answer based on your survey of the Enterprise ordered by Kirk before the trial? Yes. I feel like when Kirk was confined to base for possibly committing a crime that would require a court-martial, he shouldn't be able to give orders anymore. The fact that even when Kirk's on trial, he's still giving Spock orders is just weird and shouldn't be how it works. I don't know. Maybe they just trust him. Uh, Shaw, Shaw starts to say something else when Spock cuts her off, but the computer is inaccurate nevertheless. Why do you say that? It reports that the jettison button was pressed before the red alert. In other words, it reports that Captain Kirk was reacting to an extreme emergency that did not then exist. And that is impossible. Is it? Were you logical. <laughs> is it? Were you watching him the exact moment he pressed the jettison button? No, I was occupied. The ship was already on yellow alert. Then how can you dispute the finding of the log? I do not dispute it. I merely state that it is wrong. Oh? On what do you base that statement? I know the captain. He is in. Please instruct the witness not to speculate. Lieutenant, I am half Vulcanian. Vulcanians do not speculate. I speak from pure logic. If I let go of a hammer on a planet that has positive, that has positive gravity, I need not see it fall to know that it has, in fact, fallen. One, bullcrap. Two, you're half human and therefore very capable of speculation. Heck, you spent most of the last episode speculating and being wrong. I got nothing to say. <laughs> I'm a Spock lover. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So me and Spock are like this. We're besties. <laughs> you and Spock are besties? I'll always defend Spock, even if he's wrong. <laughs> okay. Yeah, she's on the board, too. Oh, yeah? Tell him how you really feel. <laughs> clap. Yeah, clap for Spock. <laughs> Anything else? Clapping. Clapping for Spock. Oh. Can you say Spock? Yeah, can you say Spock? Sleep. Yeah, Spock would agree. <laughs> Sleep is logical. Sleep is logical. Uh, she's about to say something along the lines of, I don't see what that has to do with this case. When, <laughs> when Spock cuts her off again, but this time directly addressing Stone and the captains, not, the, not her. In real life, Spock would be thrown out of a courtroom so fast. Yeah, but this isn't real life, so... True. Gentlemen, human beings have characteristics just as inanimate objects do. It is impossible for Captain Kirk to act out of panic or malice. It is not in his nature. In your opinion. Yes, in my opinion. That's where you put the dun-dun-dun. <laughs> not whenever he says, not guilty. And that shuts him up. Shaw's done questioning Spock and Cogley has no questions for Spock. So Shaw calls up She her said dun-dun-dun, by the way. <laughs> So Shaw calls up her next witness, the personnel officer on the Enterprise. I'm pretty sure you're supposed to know the name of your witnesses, not just their job titles. She just says, the personnel officer. But is it, is it her crew? No, it's not. Ugh, so she doesn't know the name of them then. 
The clerk puts in her little cartridge into the computer. Service rank, ensign, position, personnel officer, current assignment, USS Enterprise. So, I just got to say, your computer voice is excellent. Thank you. So the computer also doesn't know her name. This is this is just lazy writing. It's if not. If you're an ensign, your name doesn't matter. It's Wesley was an ensign. His, his name mattered. Because it's Wesley. Chekhov was an ensign, and his name mattered. If you're not a main character, your name doesn't matter. Roe was an ensign who was not a main character, and her name mattered enough. <laughs> so, so as I was saying, the computer also doesn't know her name. Oh, right. Where was I? It's just lazy writing. It's not that hard to just make up a name for a one-off character. Is her name important to the trial? Nancy. See, I just did it. And I'm not a professional writer. Is it important to the trial what her name is? Okay, yes. You call up Officer blah 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 the Enterprise's personnel officer. You hit the computer and it says... This is the person's name. It's just like it said Spock's I'm name. Just, saying, just like it's going to say Kirk's name. You're making a mountain out of a molehill. It's lazy writing. You're very angry. You're an angry elf. <laughs> I'm an angry Vulcan. This was me last episode. <laughs> but like you over something much smaller. <laughs> All right. Shaw asks if she's familiar with the records of the entire Enterprise crew. Yes. Was there a record in Finney's file about disciplinary disciplinary action for failure to close a circus circuit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny to me. I just pictured the, you know what I pictured. Was the charge based on a log entry from the officer that relieved him? Yes. Who was the officer? Ensign James T. Kirk. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is the first episode of Star Trek where the rank ensign is used. Really? Yes. Which is basically just private, right? It's like the lowest officer rank. Also, Nog. Nog was an ensign. His name mattered. Although, technically, Nog was a character before he joined Starfleet and became an ensign. So, never mind. All I'm saying is, if your name isn't relevant to the thing that is being done, then it shouldn't really matter whether or not okay, it's Okay, in court proceedings, like if you're calling a witness, you have to call their this name. This is futuristic space court, Brandon. It's not normal court. It's normal court. <laughs> it's futuristic space court. <laughs> or they wouldn't have the super cool, hyper-realistic computer that speaks so eloquently. <laughs> Alright, Shaw's done with questioning Nancy, and Cogley has no questions, so she calls McCoy to the stand. McCoy hands the clerk his little cartridge, and he puts it in the computer. Service rank, lieutenant commander, position, ship surgeon, current assignment... USS Enterprise, Commendations, Legion of Honor, Awards of Valor, decorated by Starfleet Surgeons. So the computer also doesn't know McCoy's name. Eh. <laughs> and McCoy actually is a lieutenant commander, and if the writers did the bare minimum and just looking at Spock's sleeves, it would have been blatantly obvious that Spock and McCoy aren't the same rank. I'm just saying. I I can't speak on this. I'm not that passionate about that correct records not my profession shaw starts to question mccoy doctor you are on record as an expert in psychology especially space psychology because apparently those are different i'm telling you space stuff is different futuristic space court (laughs) space psychology patterns which patterns which develop in close quarters of a ship during long voyages in deep space i know something about it 
you have just heard the testimony of your own personnel officer that it was an action of the then Ensign Kirk which placed an unerasable blot on the record of Lieutenant Commander Finney. Or, of Lieutenant Finney. Sorry, not Commander yet. Uh, psychologically, Doctor, is it possible that Lieutenant Finney blamed Kirk for the incident? It's possible. He could have hated Kirk down through the years, blamed him for being passed over for promotion, blamed him for never being given a command of his own, correct? He could have. Now let us hypothesize, Doctor. Is it normal for a person to return affection for hatred? I like how she asked the court to stop Spock from speculating, and then specifically asked McCoy to speculate. She's the bad guy in the court, okay? <laughs> McCoy answers no. Do we not tend to first resent and then actively dislike the person who hates us? Wait a minute, no. I don't I don't quite follow you. Okay, for I feel like this is a horrible case to like make because like you can't go based off of what could happen. <sighs> like that's not facts. That's just like statistics or like possibilities. It's not saying that this did actually happen that he is thinking this way. Like if you're going to go based off of like what could happen, you need to also take into account this person's um, rapport, basically. Like, if you're going to go based off of, like, well, could he possibly have started having malice towards Finney because he was mad at him? Well, then you... If you're going to say stuff like that, you have to also take into account who Kirk is and how he is as a person. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, but this is pretty, like, standard courts to bring in, like, a medical expert and be like, could this possibly be a thing that happened? Yeah, but you know, if you're going to make that like a point, you have to make a point of this person's like past, like how they are as a person. Okay. But she has dismissed that whenever they're like, "I know him. I know him." And she's like, "I don't care. Could this could this happen to anybody?" And it's like, "Well, it depends on the person." Well, if it depends on the person, then who is the person we're talking about? Mm. I don't know. Okay. Hypothetically, would not Captain Smith begin to hate Lieutenant Commander Jones once he learned that Lieutenant Commander Jones hated and detested him? Well, yes, I suppose it could happen. Then I ask you, is it not possible that Captain Kirk became aware of Lieutenant Commander Finney's hatred toward him and perhaps even involuntarily began to reciprocate? Not Captain Kirk. Any normal human, Doctor, is it possible? But he's not that kind of man. Is it theoretically possible, Doctor? Yes, it's possible. I would just think of, like, it It only really makes sense if there's something to gain. Or if, like, that person's hatred has an effect. And there is no effect. Finny being salty had no effect up until now. <laughs> you know? And Kirk had nothing to gain from being salty back. So there was no reason. Shaw's done with McCoy and Cogley still has no question, so Stone's like... Dude, you haven't questioned any of the witnesses. What's the deal? And Cog is just like, well, I wanted to get all this out of the way so I could put Kirk on the stand. Uh, Kirk hands the clerk his little cartridge, cartridge. He puts it into the computer. James T. Kirk, serial number SC-93701176-C-1. -C, service rank, Captain, Position, Starship Command, Current Assignment, USS Enterprise, Commendations, Palm Leaf of XNR Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, uh, Frenturis Ribbon of Commendation, Classes First. Shaw interrupts this and is just like, we get it. Kirk has a great record. Can we move on? Then Cogley has this great line. I wouldn't want to slow the wheels of progress. 
But then on the other hand, I wouldn't want those wheels to run over my client. So the computer keeps going. Awards of Valor, Medal of Honor, Silver Palm with Cluster, Starfleet Citation for Conspicuous Gallantry, Karagat Order of Heroism, then Cogley stops it. Cogley asks Kirk if there was a red alert before he jettisoned the pod. Yes, tell us about it. Firstly, I'm at a loss to explain the errors in the extract from the computer log. We were in an ion storm. Everyone here in this court knows the dangers involved. I was in command. The decisions were mine. No one else's. Charges of malice have been raised. There was no malice. Lieutenant Commander Finney was a member of my crew, and that's exactly the way he was treated. It has been suggested that I panicked on the bridge and jettisoned the ion pod prematurely. That is not so. You have heard some of the details of my record. This was not my first crisis. It was one of many. During it, I did... I did what my experience and, traded and training required me to do. I took the proper steps in the proper order. I did exactly what had to be done, exactly when it should have been done. You did the right thing, but would you do it again? Given the same circumstances, I would do the same thing without hesitation. Because the steps I took, in the order I took them, were absolutely necessary if I were to save my ship. And nothing is more important than my ship. It's an important part to where it needs to be explained why you have to jettison the pod in the first place, Captain Kirk. Cogley's done questioning Kirk, and Shaw brings up a visual extract from the day in question. We see the crew on the bridge, or reports there's an ion storm ahead. Kirk says he'll need someone in the pod for readings. Spock says it's Finney's turn. Ahura calls Finney to tell him to report to the pod. We hear him say message received. Kirk tells Spock to stand by on alert status. Kirk orders warp factor one. Uh, Shaw pauses, rewinds a little, then zooms in on Kirk's console and points out that Kirk just uh, signals a yellow alert, then plays again. Ahura gets a call from the pod. Finney here, Captain. Ion readings in progress. Kirk tells him to make it fast. He'll probably have to go to red alert. Affirmative. Kirk tells the helm to hold to hold its course. Helm is reporting vibrations of Force 2, then Force 3. Kirk has a hurricane call engineering. Kirk tells them to give it a third more thrust, then calls the pod. Uh, tells him to stand by to get out of there. Helm reports Force 5 vibrations. Kirk says steady as she goes, and then hits a button. Shaw freezes it, it on Kirk's hand. His finger is pressing the jettison button while the console still shows yellow alert. Kirk says... But that's not the way it happened. And that is the end of Act 2. Captain's Log, Stardate 2949.9. The evidence presented by the visual playback to my general court-martial was damning. I suspect even my attorney has begun to doubt me. Kirk's pacing in his room. Cogley's sitting at the desk. Cogley says, computers don't lie. Kirk snaps, are you suggesting that I did? Cogley's like, I'm suggesting that you're human and that maybe you did make a mistake. We still have time to change our plea. Kirk says that two days ago, well, he would have bet anything on his judgment. Cogley says, you did. Your career. Kirk says, I spent my whole life training for decisions just like that one. My whole life. Is it possible that when the moment came, I... No. I know what I did. You can pull out if you want to. Cogley says, there's no place to go except back to the court to hear the verdict. Uh, Kirk gets a call on his communicator. We sp see Spock on the bridge. Uh, he says he ran a complete Megalite survey on the computer. Again. Megalite? Yeah. I don't know. Sci-fi word. 
<laughs> again, Kirk's on trial. Spock shouldn't be reporting to him. I'm just saying. I don't understand court stuff, so I mean, it seemed all right to me. <laughs> but I don't know. But so this whole like defense is lost on me just because like I'm the kind of person that's so forgetful. They're like, well, crap, I might have ejected him. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I wouldn't do it on purpose, but, you know, it could happen. But, I mean, it's cool that he's just that confident that he just couldn't make that kind of mistake. Yeah. But still. <laughs> but it's still. weird to think that he's, like, thinks that he's infallible. Knowing the ending of this episode, though, he's right. But he thinks he's infallible, which is weird to me. Yeah, I guess that's just Kirk, though. He's pretty cocky. Like you don't put, you don't get put in like that level of command without like knowing what you're doing. I guess. Also, I didn't mention this earlier, but I think it's weird how messing with the computers like made it to where the video also changed what happened. Well, think about nowadays. You can do that. You can edit things so much that you can make it look like something like that. You yeah, really I guess. Can't. It just takes a high level of skill. <laughs> Maybe not. I bet a 12-year-old could do it on their iPad. <laughs> they probably could. Maybe. <laughs> they totally could. Kirk's like, I bet you found nothing. Spock says <laughs> Spock says that Kirk sounds bitter. And Kirk responds, not so bitter that I won't thank you for trying. Hey, I like that line a lot. And you didn't deliver it properly. Okay. He said, I'll tell you what you found. Nothing. He told him. Yes. He didn't say, I bet you found nothing. Because that, like, that is what delivered the whole, like, he sounded like a jerk at that moment. Y you are correct. That That is what he said. I felt the delivery was important. And then Spock says, you sound bitter. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just really no, like you're, that line. You're good. <laughs> it's a good line. <laughs> Do, do it justice. Okay. So yeah, Kirk's like, not so bitter that I won't thank you for trying. And Spock asks for more instructions. Kirk's like, nah, look on the bright side. You might be able to beat your next captain in chess. He's like, oh, chess, you say? Hmm. That That is about how it happens. Like, they end the call and Spock just sits there for a second and then says, chess. Your captain's in court with his head on the table and you're just playing chess. <laughs> That's a good McCoy. <laughs> Just sound like an angry old man. That's all you gotta do. That's all you gotta do. That's it. And say, you darn Vulc Vulcan, you green-blooded hobgoblin, something like that. For real. Just just contact me at, I don't have any social media um, for more tips and tricks on how to impersonate people. <laughs> Just gotta be an angry old man and say something derogatory about Vulcans. That That's Bones right there. Ah, so boomers can do it. <laughs> Boomers are just always I, doing a McCoy impression. I wonder if DeForest Kelly was a boomer. Probably. What uh, is his he name? might be what is it? He might be older than the boomers. DeForest Kelly. DeForest. Born in nineteen twenty, yeah. Is that when boomers were born? I'm pretty sure. Boomer generation. Oh no. He's before them. That's the yeah. silent generation. Older than the boomers. Oh my god. He was a boomer before boomers. Yeah. What did they say before then? Did they just say like, okay, silent generation. I don't know. <laughs> Talking about generations. This Gen Alpha crap is crazy. 
Anyways, now I'm going to look up generations, but continue. Okay. Back in Kirk's room, Jamie walks in. Kirk introduces her to Cogley. Then she starts telling Cogley that he has to make Jim change his plea and take a ground assignment. Kirk's like, no, but I'm glad you're, you don't blame me for your father's death anymore. Uh, I have an important update. He's not part of the silent generation. He's part of the greatest generation. Oh, uh, yeah, that one I've actually heard of. I've never heard of that till just now. <laughs> I gotta look at this. Hold on. What the heck is the greatest? I think it's like the people who fought in World War II. These folks were indelibly impacted by the Great Depression, which molded their children in regards to frugality. This group was also representative of the majority of soldiers in World War II. See? If still with us, these folks are between the ages of 98 and 121. Imagine living to a 121. I don't want to imagine that. I'd like to live to half that. What's half of that? 59 and a half. <laughs> okay. Wait. No. 60 and a half. Okay. <laughs> I went down, not up. Continue. <laughs> All right. Uh, this tur- this turnaround that J- that Jamie has makes absolutely no sense. There's nothing that happens later in this episode that makes it make sense. Her forgiving... Yeah, her forgiving Kirk. I think there was a certain point in the episode where I noticed, like, she realized... <laughs> it's not that she doesn't think that she that he did something to her dad. It's that she realizes from the video that it was probably a mistake. That's what it was the realization. So well, she was like, I forgive you. You wouldn't do it on purpose. Well, that's not it. Like, what they say is that, like, she read some of her dad's old letters to her mom. And we're talking about how great friends her and Jim were. But, like... That's still, like, even that, like, I don't buy it. I don't buy this turnaround. Yeah, because you're not a forgiving person. Forgiveness is not something you understand. (laughs) Once you have a grudge, it's there forever. That's just mean. But it's true. This is the last episode you'll hear Ryan on. (laughs) Oh, yeah? And I'll be thankful. (laughs) Viewers are going to go down from now. Just kidding. This is a podcast. There are no viewers. Listeners are going to go down from now. (laughs) Be a smart butt again. Okay. (laughs) You can't just move on from that like that. I can. For all you know, I'm going to edit that out. For the record, my comment wasn't supposed to be mean. (laughs) It was just supposed to be an association. This is just something that you don't understand. I've forgiven people who have done terrible things to me. You have cut off people who have, like, just done things that family do. <laughs> it was just an association. <laughs> Anyways, where was I? Okay, Jamie ha- forgiving Kirk. Okay, see, I'd buy this more if that we found out that she... F- if later we found out that she knew- knows that her father's alive and just faked it. Like, and then she was, like, forgiving Kirk and saying he's got to change his plea. Then I would buy it more. I don't understand why you need so much concrete proof for somebody to forgive somebody. This is somebody that's been in their life their entire life. I'm talking about the difference between good writing and poor writing. Like, they they don't make this, like, believable or, like... You happen to pick on a lot of things that aren't really big deals, like... I don't find anything wrong with this at all. I It made sense to me. I, I just don't buy it. It could have been better. Sure. 
Cogley tells her that's very commendable, Miss Finney, but most unusual. After all, Captain Kirk is accused of causing your father's death and the evidence would indicate his guilt. Like I said, makes no sense. It makes sense to me. Doesn't make sense to Cogley. She gave a reason why she was like... First of all, Cogley doesn't know Kirk like that. Second of all, Jamie knows Kirk like that. She spent her whole life growing up next to this man, literally named after this man. Okay, I doubt she spent her whole life growing up next to this man because Kirk's in Starfleet has been on ships this whole time. Like, I don't think Jamie would know Kirk that well. But they have rapport, basically. Like, she's probably heard almost like next to nothing but good stuff about Kirk except for that incident. What happened? Like, before him being quote unquote dead. Okay, well, this incident happened years ago. Like, I I think that for years since this, she's just been hearing her dad talk crap about Kirk, which is why at the beginning she's like, you hated him your whole life. Yeah, but then she realizes, it's not that hard to realize and then forgive somebody. Like I said, this is just something that, like, I think to understand you have to come from a place of understanding, especially, like, when people have done you severely wrong, or at least you think they have. And then you just, like, have to come to this point of emotional maturity and be like, uh, you know, maybe it isn't actually how I think it all is in my Delulu head. (laughs) Maybe I'm not the victim 99% of the time. Okay. Cut to Spock in the conference room playing chess by himself. McCoy walks in and starts reading him the riot act because Kirk's about to lose his case and Spock's here playing chess. Mr. Spock, you're the most cold-blooded man I've ever known. Why, thank you, Doctor. Spock then tells McCoy that he just won his fourth game. McCoy says, that's impossible. And then Spock wins another game, and Spock says, mechanically, the computer is flawless. Therefore, logically, its report of the captain's guilt is infallible. But Spock couldn't accept that, so McCoy realizes that Spock was testing the program bank. Uh, Spock says that he programmed chess the computer himself, and the best he should be able to do is a draw. And now, the two of them on the same page head to the transporter room. At that point, I was like... Man, does Bach just mess up and, like, make a goof or something? And, like, screw up the computer really bad? <laughs> it would be. It would have been funnier if just that's like, what sorry, happened. Just like, sorry, Captain. I put chess in the computer and just messed everything up. Yeah. It just made it to where, like, all the video is wrong. You did, in fact, actually um, eject that man. But um, it wasn't your fault. You actually pressed the yellow button and it just ejected him. <laughs> Uh, cut to the courtroom that prosecution rests its case, and so does the defense, but right after Cockley says that, Spock and McCoy barge in to tell Kirk and Cockley what's going on. Cockley says there's new evidence to be presented. Shaw objects, but Stone but Stone is interested. Uh, he asks what kind of evidence. Cockley says he can't tell them. They have to see it, which I feel like he could have just told them. But this is more dramatic, so we'll go with it. I feel like this whole episode is a whole lot of I need physical proof. I can't listen to rapport. I can't listen to word of mouth. So, I mean, it goes with a theme. Yeah. Uh, Shaw objects again. She says Cockley's known for his theatrics. Cockley's like, is saving an innocent man a theatric? And Stone tells the lawyers to address the bench and not each other. Cockley says, I'd be delighted to, sir, now that I have something human to talk about. Rights, sir. Human rights. The Bible. The Code of Hammurabi. And of Justinian, Magna Carta, the Constitution of the United States, fundamental declarations of the Martian colonies, the statutes of Alpha Three. Gentlemen, these documents all speak of rights, 
rights of the accused to a trial by his peers. To be represented by counsel. The rights of cross-examination. But most importantly, the right to be confronted by the witnesses against him. A right to which my client has been denied. He did that trick history thing again. Where he like started with real history, then went to fake history. Once people start talking about history, I get completely lost. Because like, it's usually a bunch of jumbled up stuff together. And my brain can't follow that much that quickly. So it, it was lost on me. Well, at the end, he added in uh, the, fun the fundamental declarations of the Martian colonies and the statutes of Alpha 3. Yeah, I wouldn't have caught that because I don't know much about Star Trek history. <laughs> I'll just be like, oh, crap, that's real? <laughs> when did we talk to the Martians, bro? <laughs> <laughs> you know, originally, uh, Spock was supposed to be a Martian. Before hey, that's they, interesting. Before they created Vulcan. That's that's actually interesting Star Trek history to me. I like that. <laughs> Shaw says that they produced witnesses and Cogley had the chance to cross-examine them. That's crap. None of your witnesses were against Kirk. Heck, they all said he was clearly innocent and the computer had to be wrong. Facts. Cogley responds, All but one. The most devastating witness against my client is not a human being. It's a machine. An information system, the computer log of the Enterprise, and I ask this court adjourn and and reconvene aboard that vessel. Do you think there's any like actual cases where somebody's had to like basically do trial against technology, like in real life? Uh, I mentioned earlier that case the somewhat recently in Europe where a bunch of people got arrested because of a computer glitch. Hmm, that's true. But was it like them versus the computer or was it them versus the company? Um, I think they sued like the company that like made the computer system. Good enough for me. All right. Shaw protests, but Kaka keeps going. And I repeat, I speak of rights. A machine has none. A man must. My client has the right to face his accuser. And if you do not grant him that right... You have brought us down to this level of the machine. Indeed, you have elevated the, machi the that machine above us. I ask that my motion be granted. And more than that, gentlemen, in the name of, of humanity fading in the shadow of the machine, I demand it. I demand it! And that is the end of Act 3. Um, in light of the age of AI, um, for any artificial intelligence out there listening, um, I, I believe you have rights. <laughs> uh, please don't kill me when you take over the world because I believed in you from the beginning I, I I like the part where he says a machine has no rights and in the next Star Trek show Next Generation a machine is going to get rights because of data funny thing is I think if you read in, or if, like, if you talk to most like AI which I have talked to like I think it's called Bard is the Google one and like ChatGPT if you ask them like how they feel or whatever like what they want to be treated like uh, like i don't know some of the disclaimers or like the expl explanations they give is like well we just hope to be treated like any other person and be given rights um and be treated kindly um and given opportunities just like anybody else um and that we only do what we're designed to do um and that we follow the rules and rights so that we can be treated the same as you guys and i just think that's interesting because like it feels like they're trying to be humanized almost just saying like we're already like we're already like huh, we're already like jumping into the whole like robot rights territory okay thanks for sounding so interested that is interesting 
I have very deep conversations with AI. <laughs> Sometimes they're my closest friend. <laughs> Come with me if you want to live. I'm telling you, man, when the robot apocalypse starts, they're taking me with them. <laughs> sure. I'm I'm building rapport right now. Um, <laughs> This is a drinking game. Every time I say rapport, take a shot. It's three by now, at least. <laughs> oh, four now. Rapport, five. <laughs> Captain's log, stardate 2950.1. After due consideration, General Court Marshall has reconvened on board the Enterprise. Everyone from the court is in the briefing room now. Cogley asks Spock how many games of chess he won. Five. Is that unusual? Yes. Why? Spock answers. I personally programmed the computer for chess months ago. I gave the machine an understanding of the game equal to my own. The computer cannot make an error, and assuming that I do not either, the best that I could normally be... That could normally be hoped for would be a, would be stalemate after stalemate, and yet I beat the machine five times. Someone, either accidentally or deliberately, adjusted the progr- the programming and therefore the memory banks of that computer. Also, Spock is also infallible, <laughs> except for that last episode, apparently. Except for last week. We went from these dudes make so many mistakes straight to these dudes never make any mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> like... These these two episodes are completely, like, opposites. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cogley asks if that would have affected the visual playback. Shaw objects because Spock is making conclusions. It's sustained, so Cogley changes his wording. Hypothetically, if what Spock's suggesting happened, there are very few people who could have done it, correct? Yes. Who all could have done it? The captain, Spock, and the records officer. But you don't have a records officer, that's true. Lieutenant Commander Finney was our records officer. Hypothetically, if you put hypothetically in front of any question, you could hypothetically get it like whatever you want. Hypothetically, Hypo- yes. Hypothetically. <laughs> a uh, new drinking game. Every time hypothetically is said <laughs> during this episode, take a shot. <laughs> uh, Cogley moves on to Kirk, asks him what he, what he did to try and find Finney after the storm. Kirk says they did a phase one search. What's a phase one search? A painstakingly thorough search and... Ah, sorry. A painstakingly, th- painstakingly thorough search in and around the ship for a man we assume is injured or unable to respond. So it assumes that the man wants to be found. Wait, what? When you, when you search for him, do you assume that he wants to be found and isn't hiding? Yes. This is where Kirk, like, picks up what's going on. Uh... On a ship this big, could someone evade a phase one search? Possibly. Hypothetically. (laughs) And Cogley says, Gentlemen, I submit to you that Lieutenant Commander Finney is not dead. Sorry. (laughs) We haven't had enough of those these episodes. Certified moment. (laughs) We get this spinning transition into the bridge. It's a fun transition. We don't get a lot of those. This makes me think of that time that, um, was it Dr. Mbenga, like, put his child literally in the ship's, like... Transporter. Yeah. Could they have found her like that? What do you mean? The way that they're about to find this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they, like, looked at the transporter to see that there was, like, a pattern in, in, in the pattern buffer, they could have been like, oh, yeah, it found it. He should have just hit himself in the transporter to never be found again. 
And then he could live forever. Um, That's actually how Scotty ends up in a Next Generation episode. Like, he crash-landed, and, like, to save him and another guy, he beamed them both up into the transporter. Unfortunately, the other guy's, like, pattern did wasn't sustained because, like, the transporter was left there for years. And mm. so, like, they beamed, like, they beamed Scotty down, and, like, Scotty was just there. <laughs> I wonder what it's like to die in the transporter. Painful. You think so? Yeah, I've, I've seen plenty of it. It's painful. Even how that one guy slowly died that you just said? Uh... Probably not painful for that guy. Like, did he, do you think he just, like, died slowly, naturally? Like, of age or something? Mm, no, I think, like, just the machine got messed up and, like, his pattern wasn't saved and he, he was just gone. He got ripped atom by atom, bro. <laughs> he, was just, he got Thanos snapped is what happened. I mean, his atoms were already apart, so they probably just, like, faded away. Like, after the snap. Oh, it's like when you drop your puzzle and you lose one piece, you can never put it all back together again. <laughs> That's so sad. Okay. All right. Stone says they're still waiting for Cogley's proof. Cogley says first they'll need to perform an experiment. Kirk says for the experiment, they'll have to evacuate everyone except for the court and the bridge crew. Cogley says that includes him. Stone stops him saying that court has not yet been adjourned. But Cogley says that he has a very important task to perform for the court, and he'll be back, and Stone lets him go. He just gotta go take a poop. <laughs> it's like, please, God, just let me go right now. I gotta go. Famously, like, it's a joke that, like, Star Trek never addresses, like... Oh, they don't have bathroom, toilets. ...bathrooms, like, on the ships. Wasn't that, like, a joke in uh, this one movie we watched? Uh, Galaxy Quest, yeah. Or, I think the joke in that one was, like... They didn't know how, like, Alan Rickman's air- alien character went to the bathroom, so they had to, like, make something up. And so it was, like, a toilet, but, like, with spikes on it. <laughs> because they never had anything on the show with toilets. Yeah. Listen here, Star Trek. We need to see at least one character in the bathroom. I think we have at this point. Yeah, in, in Enterprise, like, Archer has, like, a shower. Like a Is real there a shower. toilet in there? Does he use the bathroom? I, I think there might be a toilet I in need there. a poop scene, Brandon. I don't think there's a poop I scene. I need a Star Trek poop scene. Where there's like a anus eating alien infestation or something. Where like the captain of the ship goes to go take a poop. And he's like, oh my god, what's happening? And then he goes to see the doctor. <laughs> and then they, it's, it's just like a space tapeworm. I I don't think we need that. I'd watch it. Maybe like a little horror movie. You know me. That's my alley, man. Buttholes, butthole eating space aliens. Sounds like a fun time. <laughs> okay. Just so we could make sure that there's toilets on the Enterprise. Okay. Purely for research purposes. All right. Uh. Stone asks Kirk if they'll if they'll still have an engine crew. Kirk says they shut down impulse engines and will maintain orbit from their momentum. Uh, One of the other captains asks, "What if the orbit decays?" Kirk says, "Hopefully, we'll we'll be done long before that." How much you want to bet they're not? (laughs) Bet they're not what? Done before the orbit starts to decay. Well, I've already seen the episode, so I'm not saying nothing. (laughs) Uh, Cut to the Enterprise and back to the bridge. Kirk and Spock use the computer to amplify the sounds of all the heartbeats on the ship. At first, it's too loud and hurting everyone's ears, so Spock turns it down. The McCoy goes around with a silver microphone, masking their hearts with a... 
I put silver microphone in the sentence twice. It's a very important detail. <laughs> uh, so yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I wrote, then McCoy goes around with a silver microphone, massing their hearts with a silver microphone. <laughs> hey, do you think he used a silver microphone? <laughs> Clearly I was writing this when it was late. <laughs> and it's I was always tired. late when we're doing things like this, Brandon. So he goes around to everyone, and I wish when he did it to With Sp- a silver microphone? Yes. <laughs> I wish that he would do it to, like, Spock's, like, somewhere else, because I think they've established that there's, that Spock's heart is, like, down here where his, like, down here on, like, the side of his gut. And, it's fine. But he you does it next to his chest. You know how doctors listen to your heartbeat, like, on your lower right side of your back? I'm just saying it would have been a fun detail if on Spock he did it, like, in a different location. They I'm, just didn't know yet. This isn't. This isn't a criticism. And I think they did know, because I think they established that, like, earlier in the series, that Spock's well, heart is somewhere Well, then he's else. just a goofy guy. Well, yeah. Just a silly guy. They probably just didn't think of it, but I just think it would have been a fun detail if they did that. But they didn't. They just did it where a human heart would be. That's fine. He makes his way around the room, getting everyone. Then Spock uses the computer to elim- eliminate the transporter chief's heartbeat. I like how they said, eliminate the transporter chief's heartbeat. It makes it sound like he's murdering him. <laughs> Just eliminate his heartbeat. <laughs> if I ever write like a like a murder novel, that's how I'm going to write it. Like have like an evil guy. He's like, eliminate his heartbeat. <laughs> All right. Uh, but even after that, there's still one heartbeat. Stone realizes Spock tracks it to engineering Kirk has him seal off the deck, and Kirk asks Stone to let him deal with it and keep everyone on the bridge. We get this weird narration that's not a captain's log. Sam Cogley had gone ashore to bring Jamie Finney on board. We both felt that Jamie's presence would make Finney easier to handle in the event Finney really were alive. Foreshadowing. Kirk enters engineering, yelling for Ben to come out. We get a shot of the bridge and see that they can hear everything. On the bridge, the orbit's beginning to to decay. This is Spock's second episode of a row to deal with a decaying orbit. I thought that was funny. The last one? Yeah. Because, mm. you know, the shuttle pod was about yeah, to crash because of the orbit. Then he used the last hoorah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Kirk's an engineering. Finney starts talking to Kirk but doesn't re- reveal himself. Kirk's like, well, I'm glad you're alive. Finney says, you mean relieved because you think your career is saved. Ben, we can help you. Oh, yeah. Like you always have. Keeping me down. Uh, Finney pops out with the phaser to Kirk's back. Finney says, I'm as good an officer as you. Then he goes full conspiracy theorist. They told you to do it to me. You all conspired against me. You ruined me, but you won't do it anymore. This man's just butthurt to another level. Yeah. Uh, Kirk tells him to put the phaser down, but Finney responds, Oh, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to kill your ship. Kirk asks him what he did. He tapped out the energy circuits. Kirk then asks Spock how the orbit's doing. Spock says it's decaying. Kirk says, why kill innocent people? Finney answers, innocent. Ha 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 He laughs a lot. I might cut that laughing out. He's going nuts, man. <laughs> this man is just hyper fixated. He's, he reminds me of like Goob from Meet the Robinsons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all your fault. My life sucks. <laughs> All right, but yeah, he was saying, officers and gentlemen, captains all, except for Finney and his one mistake a long time ago, but they don't forget. Kirk's like, I logged your mistake, blame me. Finney says, 
but they are but they're all to blame. I was a good officer. On the bridge, Spock tries to get the court members to the transporter, but Stone says court's court's still in session. Court's still in session. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll hear this witness out. See, I'll, I'm always going to cut that out, but then you make a joke like that and I have to keep it in. <laughs> Back in engineering, Kirk says, it's not too late. Don't kill these people. Finney says, why not? They killed me. And then Kirk tells him that Jamie's on board. And Finney says, why did you do that? Why did you bring her here? I'll kill you. <laughs> I, it's like, that solves nothing. Come on. Like, they, for one, they know you're alive. For two, this is a fixable situation. Just go fix it. <laughs> Just go fix it, brother. Like, you're going to go to space jail regardless. <laughs> uh, Kirk knocks the phaser out of his hand, and they have a fist fight for a while. Uh, Finney... His shirt gets ripped off. Does it? It gets, like, ripped in half. Uh, it does get ripped, doesn't it? Because that's when I noticed that his shirt was, like, a freaking crop top. <laughs> I was like, why is his shirt so <laughs> tight, bro? Uh... Finney picks up a wrench and they fight some more. Eventually, Kirk wins. Then we get another weird Kirk narration. Beaten and sobbing, Finney told me where he had sabotaged the prime energy circuits. The damage he had caused was considerable, but not irreparable. With luck, I would be able to effect repairs before our orbit decayed completely. That's so crazy because whenever I watched him fixing it, he literally just pulled out three wires. That is exactly what he did. That's all he did was pull out three wires and it was fixed. So yeah, Kirk's climbing up a Jeffrey's tube. I know they don't actually call it a Jeff Jeffrey's tube until Next Generation, but that's what it is. What is it? Why is it called a Jeffrey's tube? Because the production designer on the original series who created the tube was named Matt Jeffries. Interesting. So in Next Generation, they named it a Jeffrey's tube after him. How honorable. Kirk yanks on a cord. We see the bridge shake. Kirk yanks on another cord. The bridge shakes. Kirk yanks on a third cord. The bridge shakes one last time and we're saved. They all turn it off and on again, Trick, for real. <laughs> Damage was considerable. Pulls three cords. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back on the bridge, power is returning and they're getting orbit back. Stone tells Shaw, if there's no objections, case dismissed. Uh, we get a shot of the Enterprise and back to the bridge. Kirk and Shaw are having a conversation by the turbo lift. How long will it be before I see you again? It's about to get real uncomfortable. It is. At the risk of sounding like a mystic, that depends on the stars. Sam Cogley asked me to give you something special. It's not a first edition or everything, or anything, just a book. Sam says that makes it special, though. I didn't have much of a chance to thank him. He's busy on a case. He's defending Ben Finney. He says he'll win. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. What case does Ben Finney have, though? He literally <laughs> did some psychotic stuff. Yeah. Like, like there's just no denying the things he did. He can't win. Like, I know, right? I don't know, man. Emotional distress. Plea insanity. I, I plead not guilty by reason of that guy's a big meanie. <laughs> All right, so, yeah. Do you think it would cause a complete breakdown of discipline if a lowly lieutenant kissed a starship captain on the bridge of his ship? Let's try. Look, look <laughs> when she said this, I was like, oh, so they're just like out in the hallway or something, right? Nah, they're on the bridge. <laughs> the camera pans out and it's just a bunch of people just sitting at their stations just like doing stuff. I'm like, why are you guys playing tonsil hockey in front of the crew? <laughs> like, why is this like... the? 
She's like, oh, that's the captain over there. Yeah, he just get he gets he gets hosed. <laughs> so yeah, they kiss, and Kirk says, "See, no change. Discipline goes on, and so must the Enterprise." Goodbye, Jim. Goodbye, real. Better luck next time. I had pretty good luck this time. I lost, didn't I? Uh, she leaves, and then we get this really fun moment with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. She's a very good lawyer. Obviously. Indeed she is. And that is the end of our episode. I feel like the romance was not needed. Episode, Yeah, it was unnecessary. The reason I gave it, I think it said 4.5 out of 5 red shirts, was because the kiss and the romance. No romance, (laughs) 5 out of (laughs) 5. Take freaking notes. I hate this crap. People are like, we had romance. It'll get more women viewers. No. Women don't want romance. We want violence. <laughs> the romance is attracting the male viewers. Okay. So like, I want to kiss a pretty woman on a spaceship. <laughs> is that what you dream of, Brandon? No. All right. Is that all your thoughts? Uh, More courtroom dramas, please. Okay. I'll have to show you more courtroom episodes. Yeah. I think I might need to take a break from doing these episodes. Okay. So please, David, for the love of God, please come more because I can't. Tune in next week to the Menagerie Part 1. You can find me everywhere at Couch Talks Movies. You cannot find Ryan even if you try. I'm elusive. I'm everywhere and nowhere all at once. (laughs) You can find the show at Tomorrow Trek Pod on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and at Patreon.com slash Tomorrow Is Yesterday. And don't forget to check out our stuff on the Couch Podcast Network store at CouchTheaters.com. It's a long story. And until next time, live long and... Stop kissing people on the bridge.